Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Girly Homesteader podcast. I do want to apologize in advance because I sound nasally. I don't know if you can hear it, but I know that I can. Uh, My husband and I, we just got back from our trip to Montana. And unfortunately, we brought back COVID. And so I am recovering from that. Thankfully, I am past the fever stage, um, but I still sound congested. So again, I apologize in advance if on this episode I have to take a few more breaks um, and the fact that I sound like this. So anyways, today we are talking about a summary of the summer garden. And I'll be honest, I'm glad to put it to bed. (laughs) I am. Um, Even though some of the things in the garden are still going for me, um, I am in general Very happy to close the chapter on summer this year, and um, I definitely have a good plan and lots of notes for 2024, so stay tuned. Hello and welcome to season two of the Girly Homesteader podcast. I'm your host, Laura, a girly homesteader living in Xenia, Ohio, with my husband, chickens, bees, and garden. This is my second year homesteading, and in 2023, I am hoping to hone some of the skills I learned in 2022, specifically in the garden and kitchen. This podcast is meant to be a bridge between nature-centered homesteading and the more girly aspects of being a woman, like non-toxic skincare, makeup, and hair care. So if you're looking for a lifestyle podcast that also talks about random aspects of homestead life, like dirty chicken feet, being attacked by bees, monthly garden goals, food preservation ideas, and sourdough that doesn't always rise, you're in the right place and you've found a girlfriend in homesteading. All right, so to start this conversation off, I am basically reading to you from my summer section of my homestead planner. So in this planner... There's a section four, notes from last year, your top goals for the season, your summary of the season, and then your wins and setbacks. And then I actually transitioned one of the pages um, from a detailed plan into a detailed plan for the next year. So to start off, I'm going to say my wins because there really weren't a ton. (laughs) So that's probably the smallest section of this podcast episode. But anyways... My biggest win, and I really do need to give myself credit for this, and I've mentioned this on the podcast before, is that I was able to successfully grow greens all summer long. Um, I think I said this early in August, and I was hoping that I'd be able to make it through all of August and into the beginning part of September, and now that we are almost near the end of September somehow, um, I can officially say that I grew my greens through the hot weather. And I was able to do that without having to uh, grow full heads of lettuce. I was able to get baby greens throughout the summer. And how did I do this? It was shade cloth. Um, I swear, my shade cloth from Bootstrap Farmer, this is my second year using that, and I love this stuff. Um, It has lasted very, very well, and it allowed me to have baby greens the entire summer. Now, what I will say, though, 
is that I probably do need to get better at succession planting and probably not growing as much at one time <laughs> because in summertime, you have more veggies, at least here in Ohio in the Midwest, you have more veggies that are available to you. And even though we love eating salads, there's more other things that we want to eat, like the tomatoes and the cucumbers and the peppers. And so having an insane amount of greens isn't as important. So during the summer, like next summer, I will have to practice a little bit more at just doing smaller plantings of my greens and maybe a little bit more often. Um, only at the very, like beginning middle of August well no maybe middle of August did I have some of my greens starting to taste bitter and luckily though I had another succession that was ready to go but what I'm saying here is that I probably could have been a little bit better at more frequent successions and smaller ones but that is my huge accomplishment that I was able to get baby greens all throughout summer and that was a huge goal of mine um, another win that I achieved was that I was able to grow cilantro in the shade. And this year I have had a terrible time with both cilantro and dill. They were super easy for me last year, but they were really, really tough for me this year. I don't know if my taste buds are changing or if I just got some weird seed varieties this year, or if it is just continuing to be the pH of our soil being an issue. But to me, my cilantro tastes soapy and my dill tastes like parsley. And I think it is our pH, but I'm still not quite sure. So anyways, the reason I'm talking about this is because I was able to successfully grow cilantro in a pot in the shade on our back deck in the heat. Now, did I continue to succession plant cilantro this way? No. But it was honestly just supposed to be an experiment because I wanted to see how the taste was different. And the taste in this pot of, you know, pure potting mix, which should have had supposedly a good pH, the taste was much more cilantro-y to me. So that's why I'm thinking that it is still a pH issue in our garden. But anyways, the win here <laughs> is that I was able to grow cilantro in the shade without it tasting soapy, like in bolting super, super fast. So that's a big thing for me. We love cilantro and I like to have it year round. So the fact that I was able to grow it in a pot in a shady spot on our property was wonderful. Another win was that we had a lot less early blight damage. Um... I don't know if it was just because I was more ready for it to come. I'm not really sure. Or if it was our soil was better or the tomato varieties that I planted were better. I'm not really sure. But we had less damage. Now, am I saying that out in the garden right now my tomatoes look beautiful? No, they don't. They definitely look just like everybody else's tomatoes where the leaves are brown they're bare almost, but there's still tomatoes on them. My plants look like that, but I definitely did not lose any tomatoes due to early blight. Now, what I did discover though this year is that there are certain parts of my garden which just truly do not get enough sun for me to grow tomatoes in them. And I will get to that later in the podcast, but I did not lose a tomato to blight. And so that is exciting. 
And then the last win that I had this year is that I did successfully grow some onions. Now, are they huge? No. But did I grow them? Yes. <laughs> and will I not have to buy onions for, I don't know, maybe a month or so right now? Sure. Yes. And that's great. Are they the amount of onions that I wanted to grow this year? No, not at all. But still, that is a win that I had. So those four wins were great. And then I have four major setbacks <laughs> that I am going to talk about now. So the first setback were cucumbers. Last year, we had a terrible year for cucumbers. And this year, we did too. And I figured that it was a sun and watering issue just like last year. But after talking to one of the local farmers near us, she said that it probably was cucumber beetles. And I had never seen these. I had heard of them, but because I had never seen any bugs on our plants, I thought that it was just watering or whatever. But she told me that cucumber beetles are very good at hiding and that they will make your plant look like you, you know, neglected it, let it totally dry up. And, you know, that's just what it does. And so that is what happened to a lot of our plants, which is why I suspect that this might have been an issue. I planted probably eight different cucumber plants, and two of them did okay, but the other ones did not. And so that right there is another sign to me that it was probably a pest issue and not a watering issue, because if it was watering or soil, then all of them would have acted the same. So that is a fail there. Another setback or a fail is that flea beetles came back. Um, I did use my... Uh, beneficial nematodes in the spring and they did work they did they definitely staved off the flea beetles for longer than last year but I did have to put on another application in the summer and I will get to that again later in the episode but um I still still did have flea beetles come back in the summer and fall now is it as bad as they were last year no so I definitely know that the beneficial nematodes did something it's just that I think I need to get better at my timing of applications Another fail that I had were pole beans. <laughs> I, if you, if you follow me on Instagram, you know this, but I have pretty much thrown in the towel on pole beans. Last year, I had terrible success with them, and this year, I did too. Now, this year, the reason I had terrible success is because I planted them right by nasturtiums, and holy crap, nasturtiums will grow in anything. Like, they would probably grow in gravel. <laughs> Because these guys, oh my gosh, <laughs> it was the very westmost side of my garden. So there's a fence around our entire garden. And so my thought was I'd have the nasturtium growing up, but then also the pole beans. And oh my goodness, the nasturtium grew so much faster, so much better than the pole beans that they took over and completely shaded out my pole beans. And so, you know what? I've given up on pole beans because what I did do as an experiment later in the season is I decided to try bush beans and I had avoided planting them because I just assumed that they took up a bunch of space and I figured well I have the walls in my garden there anyways and that you know trellis I might as well use it and so that's why I always thought the pole beans would be the best fit for me but I quickly discovered that bush beans are so much better so much easier and honestly we don't have the space to grow like so many bush bean plants that I would get overwhelmed. So like, I think 
that will be able to eat a lot of them fresh. And if there are excess, then I can freeze them. So, and beans to me, it seems like it is something that you could succession plant. So that was a fail, but also a big learning thing so that now next year I will be ready with bush beans on hand. So some more summaries of this year. Um, my tomato and pepper plants were way too big at transplanting time. And I think especially my peppers went through a ton of shock because of this. So one big thing this year, which was very successful in general, was the fact that I was using my arrow gardens to start seeds. I love these things. They make seed starting so much faster, so much easier. And I've actually been able to harden off my fall seedlings while still in the arrow garden. If you haven't heard me talk about them before, arrow gardens are hydroponic growing systems. And so because of that, they do take up probably a little bit more space in your average seed starting method, but they have the light built in, they have the watering built in, you don't have to worry about dampening off so much, and like, they're just super easy. So if you are willing to make the investment, I do highly recommend it. But the drawback though, kind of, is that because they do pamper your seedlings so much, your seedlings grow a lot faster than like if you were just starting them in the seed starting mix under grow lights. And so because of that, when it was time for me to start hardening, hardening off my tomatoes and peppers, they were huge, like way too big, way, way too big. And so as you know, probably, is that when you transplant a plant that is really big, it can go through more shock. The bigger a plant is, the more established it is in its pot, the more trauma it's going to go through when it goes into its new environment. And so I really think that my tomatoes and peppers, I probably should have started them like literally a month or so later because these guys were just so big like literally my pepper plants they already had flowers on them when I went to go transplant them and so although that's exciting and like I thought that would be a great thing in hindsight they were just way too well established in their pots um, and then another summary of this year too is that the Roma tomato variety that I grew I'm not totally sure if I'm going to do it again um, they just, I don't know, I picked a variety from Johnny's that was supposed to be very resistant to early blight. Was it? Yes, definitely. Did it make a lot of tomatoes? Eh, not so much, but of course, as I've told you, <laughs> our soil was terrible this year, the pH of it, and so that greatly affects tomatoes. So that might not be due to the plant. But what bothered me is that they never really seemed to get like really, really red, now, I'm not super familiar with Roma tomatoes. Like, I rarely buy them at the store. So they just weren't that red. And so this next year, like in 2024, I think I might just stick with a standard true variety of Roma, like the San Marzano. I think I'm just going to do it, um, see what happens. So after the break, um, I'm going to talk about my detailed plan for 2024. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the Girly Homestead Planner, the last garden planner and journal you'll ever need. I created this planner to be unlike any of the other homestead planners out there because honestly, nothing else could do what I wanted it to do and none of them were pretty. This one is organized in three different ways to help you get the most production out of your space. The first section is a yearly overview 
with space to plan out overarching homestead goals, specific monthly goals, a preservation tracker, and even a whole year bird's eye view of the garden. The planner is then divided and color-coded into the four seasons, with each season having a space to consolidate notes from last year, map the garden, plan your plantings and successions, track your seed starting, track soil health and amendments, write down seasonal meals, inventory your seeds, summarize the season, and more. Each season is then broken down into months with summary pages, day-by-day -day tracking, harvest tracking, and egg production pages. This planner is 152 beautiful full-color pages complete with tabs to keep you organized. Plus, you can choose your binding method, either three-hole punched and ready for a binder, or disc-bound punched and ready for your own binding discs. This allows you full customization of organization, whether you want to see only one season at a time, all the seasons together, or even keep last year's notes right alongside so you can compare. This planner is $34, but as a listener of the podcast, you can get 15% off when you use the code podcast at checkout. Get yours now with the link in the show notes and be the most prepared you've ever been for next season. Okay, so while we're on the topic of tomatoes, let's continue. So what I learned about my garden, and I hinted at this earlier, is that the east side of my garden gets enough sun. The west side does not. And so what I decided next year is that I am going to do only my preserving tomatoes in that garden and only on the sunny side of the garden. Um, I've mentioned this in the podcast before, but we are going to try expanding our garden a little bit next year, but by the use of containers. Now, technically, they're not really containers. We're going to buy some raised beds and put them by a sunny side of our house that gets a lot of evening sun. And so we're going to try and experiment with tomatoes there, but that is where we're going to put our slicing tomatoes. And then my preserving tomatoes, those romas, I'm going to use my in-ground beds in my main garden. But again, just the east side that gets the sun. Because it is pretty much like clear as day. You can see there's like a diagonal line <laughs> across my garden where things on the eastern side, they get more sun. Or I'm sorry, the eastern and southern side of the garden, they get more sun and they grow better there. And then the other side, well, they don't. So what I want to do next year is I want to save that western side for more of the cooler weather items and see if I can grow them throughout the summer. So again, I'm going to reorganize my garden. I'm going to focus on just my preserving tomatoes in my main garden and then focus on the slicers elsewhere. The other thing I'm going to do is I'm going to start my tomatoes and peppers later. <laughs> I'm also probably going to transplant my peppers even later. Um, I had heard this advice this year, but I didn't follow it. <laughs> um, yeah, Sabrina, the unexpected gardener, you told me to do this, to wait to transplant my peppers, but I didn't, and I wish I would have. So this year, my peppers were, again, they were too big when I went to transplant them. And then second, I transplanted them too early. Peppers are even more particular with overnight lows than tomatoes, and so I think they were just too chilly. The only, or I'm sorry, 
The other thing that I noticed about my peppers is that slugs will eat them. I had no idea. So I talked about this in my spring summary, but we had a major issue with slugs this year. And I'm attributing it to um, the leaf mulch that I used as mulch in my garden. I think it was just a perfect place for the slugs to overwinter. And so I do not want to use it at least overwinter. I might use it as a mulch um, a mulch option later in the season, but I definitely do not want to leave it on my garden during the winter months because all of the slugs came out. And they ate everything. They ate things that like I never thought that they would eat. So another really big thing that I learned is that I need to treat my raised beds like containers. Last year, I was super, super diligent about watering. And this year, I wanted to see if I could cut back a little bit and let my plants be a little bit tougher. Now, my in-ground plants, those were fine with this method of watering, but my raised beds were not. <laughs> I let my raised beds dry out way too much. And the reality is, a raised bed is like a container. It is like a pot. And so you have to water it the same way. You can't just water just the top and like not deeply. You have to kind of soak it because it will dry out very quickly. At least that top crust will. And so one thing that I want to do some research on over winter um, is an automated system, at least just for my raised beds, because I just... I need to. Um, every time that I would go in to clear out a crop and prep the soil for something new, I would have a terrible time working my soil because it would just be so bone dry. Here's another thing that I learned. This is kind of random, but when you are working your soil, and I wish that I would have known this like last year or the year before, when you are working your soil and you are prepping it, it helps to have it be a little bit wet. Now, you don't want it to be soaking wet like muddy, but if it is a little bit moist, when you are working your soil with your hands or a hand rake or whatever, you're gonna get a lot finer texture to work with and you are gonna have a lot easier time sowing seeds. So that's just a little tip there. Do not try to work your soil when it is bone dry. Um, another thing that I learned is that if you want to fertilize your plants, which I definitely did have to do this year because of our terrible soil pH, you need to write out a plan because you will forget. <laughs> um, I think that at the beginning of each month, if I write it out in my planner, like I'm gonna fertilize every other week, it will keep me on top of it because I know that I did not fertilize enough this year because I didn't get the crop that I was expecting to. Of course, it is related to our pH issues, but if I would have been fertilizing on top of that, at least I kind of could have mitigated those issues, but oh well. So back to nematodes. Um, I mentioned that I did use them this year and that they definitely helped with my flea beetle issue. They did, but I definitely need to be a little bit better at the applications of them. Um, I think I was probably a little bit too early maybe in my spring application and then a little bit too late in my late application. Specifically that second application. Um, I waited until I saw them and then I applied and of course that was a little bit too late. 
I think my perfect time here in Ohio would have been early to mid-July for a second application of nematodes. Um, oh, let me see here. I'm just looking through my notes, actually. Let me take a little bit of a break. I'm going to blow my nose. All right, sorry about that. Um, but now that I've looked through my no- looked through my notes a little bit more, um, that's kind of most of what I wanted to talk about for the summer. Everything else are just kind of like specific things for me. Um, but I did find one note here is that marjoram and sage, they actually seem to keep the cabbage moths away from some of my crops. And I planted these kind of on a whim outside just because I heard that they can help with cabbage moths. But I will say, the cabbage and things that I planted near them, they actually didn't seem to get too bothered by the cabbage moths. So I don't know, if you have an issue with them, maybe try it. The sage is wonderful dried anyways. It's a very easy, low maintenance plant. So I highly recommend the sage. Um, Let's see, another really big thing that I learned, not necessarily learned, but was just kind of (laughs) confirmed, is that the stronger your plants are, the more pest resistant they will be. Meaning that the quicker they will grow, the quicker they can outgrow the pest damage. So obviously, if your soil is healthy, you don't have to worry about this because your plants will just grow better. Now, if you are at a point in your gardening journey or your property's journey where you are still trying to amend your soil and get it to be in a better place, you are going to have to fertilize. I'm sorry, but you just are. And if you don't, your plants will not be able to outgrow that pest damage. Um, Because I could tell after I would fertilize, my plants would grow, they would spring back, and I wouldn't notice as much much pest damage. Um, I think next year for me, I kind of hinted at this earlier, I'm going to stick with just the standard dill and cilantro varieties. I'm going to continue working with my soil pH to see if I can get it fixed. Um, But I think I'm just going to try and stick to just kind of the standards next year because I, I don't know. It's like I was trying to solve all my problems this year with specific varieties of things for my location and the things I wanted to avoid, like early blight and such. But... Um, it just didn't end up working out like I was hoping. (laughs) So to me, that just means that my soil is really what was the issue. Um, Another area where this comes into play are my cucumbers. I had terrible luck with my cucumbers, as I said, but I also picked a really weird variety of cucumber. I picked one that was supposed to be a very compact plant that is parthenocarpic. I think I'm saying that right. But what it means is that it can pollinate itself. And The cucumbers that I got, they were fine. They were a pickling variety of cucumber. And I mean, I don't know. They were okay. They were very tiny. They were cute little pickling cucumbers. But um, I don't know. They just didn't work out very well. And they weren't just the typical good juicy cucumber that I was hoping for. And so I think next year I'm going to try two different varieties. That way I don't put all of my eggs in one basket. And I'm probably just going to go with more of my standard kinds, just like the standard San Marzano Romas. <coughs> Sorry. And also standard dill and cilantro. So next year, I guess the theme of my summer garden is to go a little bit more basic with my varieties, but then try just really to focus 
on my soil. And so those are big, big goals for fall and also definitely winter um, to really focus on the pH of my soil and um, to get it nice and happy and ready for summer of 2024. I know that we are almost to technical fall. Um, I think when this podcast episode comes out, we're just a few days away. It's Saturday, September 23rd, and I'm so excited. Um, But yeah, in general... This summer garden, it was kind of a letdown again, just like last year. Um, But again, I really just think it's soil. And so I know that I hear that so many times on other podcasts. They say soil, soil, soil. Soil is what's important. And it is because, you know, you can buy whatever fancy variety of seed that you want to buy. But if your soil's shit, it's not going to do anything different. So your soil is critical. But again, I need to give myself credit because I did successfully grow baby greens all summer. And that is a big deal. So I don't know. I'm definitely happy that summer's over. Um, but I'm not so bummed about it that like I don't even want to think about next year yet. Because I definitely am excited. Like I'm actually excited for those January and February days where we are cold. and looking at seed catalogs and all cozy with tea planning out the garden. I am excited for that, but we still have a ways to go. We have to get through fall and winter. So that is it for today. Next week, hopefully I will sound less nasally um, and I will be talking about my favorites from the month of September. Thanks for listening to the Girly Homesteader podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss a new episode. And if you want to share more in my journey, follow me on Instagram at the Girly Homesteader.